Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer this morning, and we'll get into our lesson in Psalm chapter 23. Uh, but uh, uh, again, you know, just looking at uh, how the Lord is our shepherd, and I just want us to to kind of pray this morning as we enter into this last verse, and we look at uh, the first part of it here, that when we look at it, that we very clearly see exactly what the Lord's teaching us. Uh, so I, I want our, our hearts in the right place. I want our hearts ready and receptive, and uh, I just uh, desire that to, to be our prayer this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are again very thankful to be here, and Lord, very thankful that we can come to your uh, word, and Lord, receive this instruction. Lord, I thank you so much that you are that good shepherd, the great shepherd, the, the chief shepherd, Lord, that we can truly just receive blessings from you. But Lord, what impact that leaves in our life. And Lord, I pray that we would understand what you have for us here in this passage, that Lord, we would not look at it uh, with just a, a, any type of dismissiveness. And Lord, I know that's probably not the case with anybody here, but Lord, I pray that it would be something that is clearly received, something that is desired, and something, Lord, that we would grow in you. Again, I thank you for those that are here, and I pray, Lord, that uh, this uh, morning would be pleasing and honoring unto you as we endeavor to study and endeavor to worship you. And this I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are in Psalm chapter 23, and we're in the last verse. And uh, we've uh, talked about all these things, and and I want to, again, start with it. It's a short chapter. I want to start with verse 1, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he obviously begins to expound furthermore into this, where he says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we talked about how there are seven actions of the shepherd, and then there's 14 blessings that we see from for the sheep and themselves. But what we see in this last verse here is we see two things in the beginning part talking about uh, goodness and mercy. But I want to point out that he starts off with surely. Surely. This is something that, uh, I mean, again, we're, we're talking about th- that word sure. We're talking about something that is of a truth. We're talking about something that is clearly identified as a, a, a truthful statement that has a, that with this attestation, he can show evidence. You know, when somebody says, surely there is something there that can be demonstrated. There is something there that can be, uh, brought to light and, and, and if you will, clearly shown. And there's the understanding that that person is speaking something that is, is, is very truthful and of value. So when we look at this, this psalmist, after he's gone through all of these things in the first uh, uh, five verses, he comes to this point of where he says, surely. Meaning that this end result, this consequence that we see, this, uh, if you will, the, the, the reaping of these benefits with the Lord as the shepherd is something that we can truly attest to. And, and, and I, I just want to state that, you know, the more that we get into the position where we are following that shepherd, 
the more we will understand that surely principle of what happens next. And when we look at this, I mean, obviously we see some things that are here, but we'll look at it from a little bit of a different perspective this morning. But I I just want us to understand when he starts off with that surely part, this is something that, again, is is very accurate. This is something that is, is a consequential result of the Lord being the shepherd. And I'll state this, all of these things that we see here, they have no effect on a person that's not following the shepherd. Why is that? Because they're not of the flock. They're not of the flock. If a person is not trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they can't, they, they can't claim any of this. They can't go and say, these things apply to me. They can't go and they say, oh, hey, look at all of this and, 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 and look, you know, here he is saying, yeah, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for thou art with me. I mean, here they are clearly stating something like that, and I just want to be very clear. When those things are read at funerals for people that are unsaved, that doesn't apply. So when we look at this and we make this declaration in the very first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, there are definite, sure consequences of those actions, of that attestation, of that purposing. In our heart. And again, we have to purpose. As we talked about, I'm not going to go through verse 1 again, but I just want to reinforce that as we are here. We are at the end of the chapter, getting ready to summarize all of this. I want us to just kind of get an understanding about just that simple word, surely, and the impact that it has. We always think about consequences in a negative sense. When we think about that verse, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We always think about that in a negative context, don't we? But isn't it true about, the, if you will, the positive context? If we go and we sow seeds of righteousness, if we sow the seeds of the word of God in our life, if we go and sow the seeds of the things that he tells us that are good for us, is there not going to be a, 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 a benefit to that? That what is reaped is something that is a good and pleasant fruit? If you will, those pleasant fruits that we see, or the pleasant fruit of the Spirit that we see over there in Galatians chapter 5? Because they're in the same book when we start talking about that reaping and sowing. So when we look at this, I want us to understand that concept that we as Christians get to say, hey, there's some sure blessings that come from God. There's some sure blessings that come from God. And here we are looking at these two. And again, as I said, this is only if we follow the shepherd. And and, and again, these two things where it talks about goodness and mercy, these are attributes of God, by the way. I mean, God is good, is he not? God is merciful. And praise the Lord for that. But when we realize this is God's attributes, these are things that are bestowed upon, uh, uh, you know, a man as believers. I mean, the goodness of God even spills over to, to mankind as a whole. I mean, God is good in that he hasn't just erased this whole mess. <laughs> He hasn't just, you know, hit the, the the delete button and just, you know, eliminated the file. 
he, he's, he's continued to exercise goodness, but here we're talking about goodness of God in relationship to that shepherd. The mercy of God in relationship to the shepherd. So when we take a look at this, let's just go ahead and define what goodness is. Goodness def- is defined as not, uh, not weak or defective. If something is good, it is not weak or defective. And we need to understand that. Anything that we get from God is good. It's good. It's not defective. It's not defective. Is our eternal life defective? Is that not a good thing that we have? (laughs) Is the word of God defective? There's a lot of people running around and start going around correcting it and changing it and doing all sorts of other things with it. No. The Word of God is, I mean, as he says, it's perfect and pure and, and, and it's inspired and preserved and all of these things that we understand about what the Word of God is and why it's important. The Word of God is a good thing for us. It's not defective. The world treats it as defective. The world treats it as defective. But here, goodness is, uh, if he will, having the qualities of being good, not weak or defective. It's complete. It's sufficient, and especially when it comes to moral and spiritual qualities. Now, this is just a, you know, a rough definition. And when we think about that in, in goodness as being complete and sufficient, especially in those, those spiritual things, we realize that the goodness of God is sufficient for us. What more could we ever possibly want than to just have the goodness of God shown in our lives. People sit there and they will, they will fret and they'll worry and they'll have all these things and they want this and they want that and they want all this stuff of the world. But if you, you know, over there in Ecclesiastes, he makes it pretty clear that those desires are the wrong kind of desires. We're actually going to cover that tonight. But what we find here is we see that this goodness that is, is sufficient and complete with the Lord is part of who the shepherd is. He doesn't just, you know, casually care for the sheep. No, he is truly invested and, and concerned for the sheep. At, at the teen retreat, I had an opportunity to preach a message, and I was talking about uh, um, the, uh, the Lord's the conversation that he had with Peter over there in Luke chapter 22. And over there, he talks about how the, the devil the desired, to ha- desired to have him to sift him as wheat. And then the next verse right after that says, uh, where, where he's talking to Simon Peter, he says, but I have prayed for you. Amen. Jesus Christ praying for Peter when he's on the wrong direction, he's heading the wrong way in life, and he very clearly is getting prayer. Why? Because the Lord is concerned with the spiritual nature of what's happening in Peter's life. Let's not forget the care and the goodness that is there because the Lord does truly show and demonstrate that to us. I mean, here we are to this morning. Do we not have good things? And I'm not talking about physical stuff. Well, praise the Lord. We have food and raiment and therewith we are content, right? But I mean, the Lord's given us so many other good physical things, but, but how often do we sit there and relish the spiritual things? How often do we praise God for the Bible that we have more than than the vehicle that we own? 
How often do we praise the fact that we get to meet in church where others don't necessarily get to do that? That we actually have brothers and sisters in Christ. Could you imagine living this Christian life if you were completely alone? You want to talk about suicide rates going up? That would be depressing. But praise the Lord, we're not alone. Even if we did not have other believers, this passage lets us know he is with us. He is with us. And here he is talking about this goodness. And again, when we think about something that's good, we think about it, it's not corrupted. It's not corrupted. There's a lot of corruption in this world. There's a lot of corruption in government. I mean, I don't even think that even needs to be stated sometimes. I mean, it's just kind of self-evident. There's corruption in our workplaces. There's corruption in, uh, in, in our life with our bodies. There's corruption that, that occurs all over the place. Things break down. It's a second law of thermodynamics. If I got my thermodynamic laws correct, <laughs> going back to grade school here, trying to think about that in high school. But, you know, everything breaks down, right? Everything's going to come to an end at some point. But not God. Not his goodness. I mean, do we really understand that concept that here he says, goodness is going to follow me all the days of my life? Think about that. Because that's the, that's the phrase that he says here. Well, let's think about mercy here for a moment. Mercy, what is mercy? Mercy is benevolence to overlook injury, to treat better than one deserves. You know what comes from mercy? What the fruit of mercy is? Eternal life. You think about that just for a moment. Eternal life is given to us. Eternal life comes from the mercy of God. That's more than we deserve, isn't it? I mean, again, we could sit there and we could rail upon ourselves and we could sit there and say, well, yeah, I'm a horrible sinner. And we could even go the route of, of Paul saying we're the chiefest of sinners and going that direction. But I will, I will make it very, very clear here. Uh, we should not get into a point of where we are just so self-deprecating that, that we just, you know, bury ourselves in it. You know what we need to say? Yeah, I know I'm undeserving, but praise the Lord. I'm now a sheep of his pasture. I'm a sheep of his fold. The Lord is my shepherd. And we get to say that because, again, his mercy. His mercy, I mean, we have a choice about which shepherd we're going to follow. There's good shepherds and there are absolutely horrible shepherds out there. And I'll tell you, there is only one real, true, great, chief, good shepherd, and that is Jesus Christ. So when we understand that we have that choice, because we have a choice to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior or not, when we make that decision and make that choice, that, that, that we realize that he gives mercy to us to forgive us of our sins. Praise the Lord for that. This is the mindset that we all need to think about. So let's talk a little bit more about goodness from Scripture. Go to the book of Nahum. (coughs) 
And in the book of Nahum, I want you to turn to chapter 1. If you can find Habakkuk, I have to say it like that, Habakkuk. If you can find Habakkuk, you can find Nahum, it's right before it, in Micah. But Nahum chapter 1, I want you to look down there at what it says here in verse 7. It says, the Lord is good. I mean, if the verse was just in there, it would be a great verse. But it doesn't. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. Question. Do we trust, do we trust the Lord? Now let's think about this for a second. How much do we truly trust him? How much do we truly trust him? Bible says that he knows who trusts him. He knows it. He knows whether we're hiding something and we're trusting ourselves, whether we're trying to control uh, whatever circumstances we may be in, whether we think it's uh, we know better than the Lord or whatever it may be. He understands all of that. So when we're going through a difficult time, as he's describing here in Nahum, What does he say? The Lord is good and a stronghold. The Lord is good. His goodness. That we can actually turn and we can trust in him to do that. To be good. I mean, honestly, how many people can we truly trust in this life? You know, we might be able to name a few that we would trust and that we might be able to name a few that we would uh, trust in a situation and and again, you know, you put it in the mindset is, if, you know, I know this is an extreme thing and I pray that it never happens. But if you were having to be involved in a gunfight, who would you trust to be there with you? To operate a, a, you know, a firearm around you and not accidentally shoot you. I mean, that's an extreme circumstance. You gotta know the people that are operating around you. You gotta know how they're behaving. You gotta know exactly what their, what their skill level is. Because you're, you're dealing with a serious thing. It's not a toy. You got some guy that's waving the muzzle all around and, and you got some guy that has no idea or concept of what safety is and, and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Man, those are the guys you don't want to be around. You don't trust them. But here's the Lord, when he says he's good, you know, we can trust that. We can trust it. When has he ever been bad to us? When has he ever been bad? Go over to the book of Romans. Take a look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, and he's talking about those that uh, that judge and those that do things, talking about the right way they're supposed to go about judging. And um, But but we get down here to, 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 to verse 4 where he's talking to them, and he says, Or despises now the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. Did you ever think about that, how good God is, that his goodness led you to salvation?
somebody came and told you, whether it was through a track, whether it was through a family member, whether it was through sitting in a church service or whatever it was, you know what happened? Is God put salvation right there in front of you. The words of life, the Bible. All of these things. And again, regardless of whoever it was that showed you the scripture, that showed you those things, there are some people that just read the Bible and they trusted Christ as their Savior. There was nobody that was there. And you know, it was the Lord that led them to begin to look at scripture and to work in their heart and to show the conviction, to show the need for salvation. That's his goodness. You realize that if God didn't care and he was not good... He wouldn't give two seconds of thought to you and your need for salvation so that you could escape eternal torment in flames. He wouldn't have cared. But that's not God. What does Peter say about the Lord? He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's, that's the Lord. And here he is saying, you know, you, you want to talk about, you know, salvation being offered. You want to talk about, uh, uh, what happens. You know what a lot of people do? They despise the riches of, uh, of his goodness. You know who despised the riches of his goodness? Esau. Esau despised it. He despised his birthright. He's besides the fact that he was born first and he sold it. And God didn't really care for that. As a matter of fact, that, uh, that led to the statement where it says God hated Esau. Why? Because he despised what the, he despised what the Lord gave him. Man. It's definitely not the side that we want to be on, but this is the, we're talking about the goodness of God. Go over to the book of Exodus. Go to the book of Exodus. So again, you know, the nation of Israel, man, they received a lot of good things from the Lord. A lot of good things from the Lord. I was talking to Mike, uh, Pastor Mike Sherry up there, and he had mentioned something about, uh, manna being given to the nation of Israel, uh, all the time they were there. And, and we were talking about, he had heard a message and I was, uh, I was talking to him about it too. Uh, you know, the day that the manna stopped. The day manna stopped was when they crossed over into Jordan. There was no more manna. What did they have to do? They had to grow up and go out there and see those provisions that were there and they reaped the benefits of it. Why? They didn't need manna any longer. They were in the promised land. Land of milk and honey. But what we see here in Exodus chapter 34 and go down there to verse 6. And here it is, it says, uh, back up to verse 5, it says, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, upon the... Uh, unto the third and fourth generation. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about here, this, the, the rebellious spirit that he knew was going to be in the nation of Israel. 
But he's talking about the mercy and the forgiveness that he was going to continue to give. I mean, this is, he's proclaiming who he is. Abundant in goodness, though. I want you to think about this. Abundant in goodness and keeping mercy for thousands. God is the protector of mercy. Without God, there would be no mercy. Mankind cannot develop mercy on his own. We need to understand that. Where do we learn mercy from? The Lord. The Lord. It's always been a big issue. It's been a, it's been a bit of a dilemma and they, they, they're trying to find, you know, some better ways to explain it. But how do you explain morality developing in a system of evolution, especially when the concept is survival of the fittest? Survival of the fittest says you do not forgive the weak. You get rid of the weak. You eliminate them. Why? Because they're a drain on resources in society. That's the concept of evolution. That's what evolution teaches. And what do you think they want to do? That's what people do. Welcome to communism. Welcome to to dictators that perform genocide. Everybody from Saddam Hussein and and uh, uh, you know down the list, okay, from Adolf Hitler to Pol Pot to uh, I, I mean to Pharaoh, for that matter, killing thousands of babies. Herod killing thousands of babies. We want to talk about despising the goodness of God. That's those type of individuals. When we begin to see this here, here's the Lord proclaiming who he is, talking about what he does. Keeping that mercy for, for thousands. And, and abundant in goodness. His goodness doesn't run out. You know mankind's goodness runs out after a certain point in time? Don't we kind of have a limit? You know, we're good, and 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 we're good. And then on the 489th time, <laughs> we're like, you got one more chance. Cut off. Because <laughs> I'm only allowed 490, and then after that, you're on your own. No, that's not the way it works. I say that kind of facetiously, knowing that, that that's not the mentality that the Lord's talking about. We don't sit there and keep track of that. But what we find here is we find that the Lord is very clear about who he is. Turn over to the book of Psalms, chapter 31. Psalms, chapter 31. And again, this is we're talking about this goodness that the Lord gives, and that the Lord uh, demonstrates to us. His, and we'll talk about mercy here in just a minute, but in Psalm, chapter 31, and take a look at verse uh, 19. Psalm 31, 19, it says, Oh, how great is thy goodness. Not only is he good, but his goodness is great. You think about that for a second. Great goodness. And we think goodness is good by itself, but what if goodness is greater than good? You're like, what? (laughs) Like, I haven't had enough coffee to think about that yet. But think about this. He says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid upon, uh, laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Those that fear the Lord, those that trust in him, those that have him as their shepherd, he says that goodness is great. Yeah, there's some goodness that mankind gets. They get the same rain as on the the righteous and unrighteous, right? 
And that's good. It's good that he doesn't just end the earth. It's good that the earth still spins. It's good that we still have seasons. It's good that he said that those seasons will not end until the earth ends. But praise the Lord when we begin to realize how good it is for those that really truly say, hey, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Turn to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm, or Psalm chapter 52. I mean, Psalm, Psalm 107, and I'm not saying go there, but when you go over there, all it talks about repeating over and over and over again is a phrase talking about the goodness of God. That's what the whole chapter is about. But here in Psalm chapter 52 and in verse 1, it says, Why boastest thou self in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. He's like, why in the world would you go through this process of just constantly boasting about your sin? Why don't you sit there and boast about how good God is? The fact that it endures continually. God's goodness is not going to end. Now, you're not going to wake up in eternity one day and God says, you know what, I've decided to change my mind. I'm just going to start deciding that you're going to have a limited lifespan and uh, all that stuff about promising that there would be no more sin and death, and I'm going to change my mind. That's not the Lord. It's not who he is. His goodness just isn't going to end. It endures continually. And aren't we glad that that happens in our life on a day-to-day basis, that he's constantly good to us? Take a look at Proverbs chapter 21. Now when we take a look at this idea of mercy, in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 21 itself, Proverbs 21, 21. i get my page there. There we go. It says, He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. You know what happens if you seek mercy? You find life. Remember I said that that's the, that, that that's the fruit of mercy? That's what is yielded from it? When mercy is planted in our lives, that is what is yielded? I mean, when we think about how great that is to have mercy in our life, and again, he's talking about all the days of his life. Keep that, keep that phrase in mind as we think about this. All the days of his life, mercy is going to be there. If he's, if the Lord is our shepherd, that's what we get. And praise the Lord for it again. Praise the Lord for the fact that we, we get to understand that concept that there is mercy. Turn over to the book of, uh, uh, of uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> Giving you a bit of a workout this morning in, uh, in, in the, uh, the scriptures, but in Exodus chapter 20, and you take a look here in verse uh, in verse five. It says, "Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them." Was he talking about those graven images? Nor uh, nor serve uh, nor serve them, for I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Again, there's the key important part. Remember that it's those that hate. That third and fourth generation doesn't hate, something's changed. But take a look at what he says here in verse 6. 
and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. That love me and keep my commandments. And I want you to think about that for a second. Those that truly say that they're going to love the Lord, those that truly say that the Lord's going to be their shepherd, the ones that, that truly say that I'm going to follow God's will, the ones that truly say I love the Lord are going to be the ones that do His will. They're going to be the ones that do His will. And you know what happens? Mercy abounds. Mercy abounds. Can't even begin to describe how much mercy is there. Go over to another passage, this time over the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. We know that in Ephesians chapter 2, we've got those great verses of nine, uh, 8, 9, and 10, talking about uh, the good works that we're ordained unto, talking about salvation by grace through faith. But take a look at what he says there in verse uh, verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein, or wherewith he loved us. His, his mercy, his great love, he's rich in this. He's rich. And some people want riches in this world so they don't have to worry about anything. But how about this? How about we more concern ourselves with the riches of his mercy so that we never have to worry about anything in the spiritual life? Because look at what happens with that, where where, where it makes it very clear in verse 5, even when we were uh, dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what he's done with his mercy. How rich he is. We get to sit with him in heavenly places. Raised us up. Born again. New man. New creature. All of these things that we see is because of the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Go over to the book of Jude now. Take a look at Jude. And in Jude, verse 21, it's only one chapter in Jude, so verse 21, here he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Man, if there was one thing that I would love to say to every single Christian, it would continue to be that. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You know what that means to keep yourselves in the love of God? Keep doing his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments, is what he says. We just read it over there. Those that love him and keep his commandments. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Mercy unto eternal life. There it is again. There it is again. So the psalmist can clearly declare, it's going to follow him all the days of his life. You know what that means? We are never going to be removed from that. There are multiple passages of scripture that talk about that. You know, we talked about the forsaking that occurred on the cross. That, he, he was forsaken so we wouldn't have to be. And it's just amazing to think about this. That here he is making it very clear, talking about that, that, that we looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life. We keep looking to him 
who's given us this eternal life, that we keep that focused and we realize that this mercy is continuing to follow us as a benefit all the days of our life. And this is a benefit that we receive with him as a shepherd. I mean, let, let, let's just ask this question. How many Christians actually think this way about Jesus Christ? How many of us really truly think and get this concept of surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life? Because what happens? Something bad happens in our life. Is your first thought, surely goodness and mercy are following me? No. (laughs) Let's just be honest with ourselves. We start freaking out. We start panicking. If we truly understood this, that no matter what happens in our life, and we truly believe that goodness and mercy shall follow us, then we are truly trusting the Lord. Look, yeah, we understand bad things are going to happen in this life. But he just said he's with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. Thou art with me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Well, why is that? Because we're walking with the Lord. Because he is our shepherd. Because he is with us. So even if something horrible happens in front of us or or to us, we can still say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and I'm sure you're familiar with the the verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans 8, 28. Now, we know this verse, right? We know part of this verse where he specifically says, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called the called according to his purpose. We know that. A lot of people quote that verse. They quote that verse. Sometimes they don't understand the full the full meaning of it. But here, if we're talking about the Lord being our shepherd, and we understand surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, we understand that the bad things that happen in our life, God can use for good. God can use for good. I've seen it happen before. Things that people meant for evil and try to pull the pin, flip the spoon, and frag our life, guess what happens? God turns around and uses it to grow us. And we go grow closer to him. But I guarantee you, when that explosion happens in our life, that's not always our first thought, but the psalmist is saying, This surely is and should be our thought. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, even in the bad. Look, we all have good days and bad days, right? Anybody have a bad day this week? The week just started, so you better not be... (laughs) You better be having a good day while we're in church. And that's not just because I'm mandating it. It's because we're around the brothers and sisters in Christ. We get to edify each other. We get to encourage each other. This is a good thing that we've got going on here. This is a demonstration of his mercy in our life, that he has us all come together, and we get to enjoy this fellowship together. Praise the Lord for it. And and guess what? That's a good day. But look, you know what? We understand last week there might have been a bad day. Some people have health issues, and they've got good days and bad days, right? 
They're good days and bad days. You know, I was doing all fine. Everything seemed to be doing okay. My back seemed to be calming down a little bit. They tried a new adjustment on me, and it's like, okay, this seemed to work. It kind of get things done, and so on and so forth. I woke up this morning, tried to get out of bed, and I'm like, oh, my. <laughs> riding on a logging truck, or riding on logging roads in that, in that, uh, that bus. I mean, oh, man. Like, uh, Rachel was offering me her, her lumbar support and I'm like, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> I think my back left me somewhere back there on like, you know, milepost five or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's back on the road somewhere. I think it was in one of those potholes we hit. You know, it just, it, it doesn't matter. We've got good days and bad days when it comes to health. But you know what? Regardless of my health, I'll tell you this, I know that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Because every single time I think about what happened with my back, every single time I think about, you know, I can sit there, whine and moan and complain about the whole thing. And I might, you know, have a little bit of my own pity party going, oh man, that hurts. But <laughs> but I'll tell you this, I know that because of that, people people trusted Christ as their Savior. Because of that accident that occurred that caused all this mess with my back, you know what it is? It's just a general reminder that there is a family that trusted Christ as their Savior. They have a home in heaven. They have a home in heaven. Goodness followed. It It was a bad day when that happened. But you know what? Goodness followed. Goodness followed. Mercy followed for that family. Mercy followed for me because I got to see the mighty hand of God work in one of those situations that you look at and go, why, Lord? And the Lord says, this is why. And you go, that's good enough for me. It's good enough for me. I mean, here he is. He's displaying confidence in the Lord. This amazing confidence that he has. I mean, uh, you know, we, we, we love him because he first loved us, right? We understand what the Lord is doing here. And if he's our shepherd, this is an amazing thing that we get to, 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 to understand and experience. Go over to the book of 1 John. Take a look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse, uh, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. I mean, that's a good thing. That's a merciful thing that follows. Take a look at verse 10 of the same passage, of the same chapter. And what he says, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Man. Talk about the goodness and mercy of God. We trust him and this follows us. Take a look at chapter 3 and verse 16. Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Now, I want us to understand that verse here. He just, we're, we're talking about surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I want us to understand something here. We sometimes look at that in a very selfish manner, in a very self-centered thing, okay? And I'm not saying that it's, in the, it's wrong to give praise for what the Lord gives us in this matter, okay? About goodness and mercy. But notice that the goodness and mercy is following. Meaning, yes, that sometimes those things, they come a little bit later, okay? But I want you to think about this. 
You know, sheep leave behind something when they walk through a place. And sheep, honestly, they can be either the best thing for the land or they can be the worst thing for the land. All depends on the management of the shepherd. You can have sheep that will go in and if they are not managed correctly, they will destroy the ground that they're on. But if you've got somebody that knows how sheep operate, what sheep need, and does the right shepherding, you can get them to revive a land that is barren and desolate. You can get grass to grow where grass never grew. That's that's because the, the shepherd brings the sheep through. So I want you to think about this for a second. Here he is, you know, in in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, saying, Hereby we perceive the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Let me ask you this. As you walk through this life, do you leave the goodness and mercy of the Lord behind you? Should follow you, right? Should leave a trail of, of uh, not just breadcrumbs, all right? You should leave a trail of things that, that clearly exemplify the goodness and the mercy that God has shown you in your life. As you're a sheep of his pasture, you should walk through and people will see that and see a difference. See a difference. Now here, here's this viewpoint that I was talking about that we need to look at it from. Uh, is, is it goodness and mercy that we leave behind us as, as, you know, as a trail that leads to the shepherd? That other sheep come along and go, wow, that's, that, that, that is actually grass that's greener. Yeah, th- th- that is an amazing shepherd that you have there. I want to follow him. I want to be part of his fold. You know, again, as I said, sheep can be esteemed as highly beneficial for the land if they're properly managed and cared for. So let me ask you this. What blessing do we leave behind? You know, here we are as sheep, and we've received all these blessings throughout this entire passage, and including in verse 6, with surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. All the days of my life. All the days of your life, every day that you walk through, do you leave goodness and mercy of the Lord behind? He's given it to you. Does it flow out of you? He feeds you with good pastures, green pastures, and still waters. Do you, in turn, give to those that need it? Says we should love the brethren because he loved us and laid down his life for us. We do the same thing. Look, sheep just aren't around for the benefits, right? The shepherd isn't, isn't sitting there, you know, you know, all doing all this because, you know, hey, he just wants to take care of sheep. <laughs> There's profit behind it. He does it for a reason. You know, he saved your soul so that you will go out and do, as Ephesians 2.10 says, those good works, which is telling others about Jesus Christ, demonstrating his goodness and mercy, his righteousness and everything, all these benefits. Do you leave those behind all the days of your life? All the days of your life. What blessings do we leave behind? Turn to Romans. Romans chapter 10. 
Romans chapter 10. And, uh, Paul quotes something and, uh, and again, this is, you know, it's not an exact quote of, of something similar to what was said over in the book of Isaiah chapter 52. Um, but, uh, he, he, he quotes something here and in verse 15 it says, uh, and how shall they preach? Let's back up here just a little bit here where he's talking about. What does he say? In verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen to that. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You realize that's what we're supposed to leave behind as we move through the land? Benefit. Sheep are used to improve the land. They're not just for wool and meat. They're used as an agricultural mechanism to come through, and in two years, they can change something that was desolate into something that is a lush, fertile land that can be used to plant. You realize that's what God does with us? So when we think about surely goodness and mercy following us, we need to ask ourselves, is that what I leave behind? When I engage in a day-to-day activity with the brethren and with the lost, what do I leave behind? Do I speak of his goodness? Do I speak of his mercy? Do I show forgiveness? Do I give good gifts to men? What do I do? How do I respond? And again, this is all the days of his life. As this shepherd moves the sheep through, there is an impact that is left behind. If the sheep don't have the right shepherd, they'll leave a different kind of impact of destruction. But if it's sheep that are managed the right way by the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, guess what happens? Goodness and mercy gets to be partaken by other individuals as well. What do we leave behind? Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. We'll pick up the last part of the, the chapter next week and uh, get uh, get this chapter kind of taken care of and, and uh, if you will, um, get some understanding about what it means to be a sheep of his uh, under this shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's go ahead and dismiss with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for the lessons you continue to teach us. Lord, I pray that we would understand that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That, Lord, we would truly leave that behind us as we receive it from you. And, Lord, again, I just thank you for that goodness and that mercy. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to see that today as you work with us and work in our hearts for the 11 o'clock hour. That, Lord, we would just definitely be that light in the world that they need to see. And I ask and pray all of this. In your son's name, Jesus Christ, amen.